Good morning, good morning. Well, Brad said a couple of things this morning that's worth noting. One is thank you for the embrace. Uh, love it, love it, love it. But the other was he expressed a concern about the legal expression of celebration at Christmas. Did you notice that? It may be the first time I've heard Brad express concern about legality. I just wanted to highlight that. <laughs> it's awesome, Brad. Um, here we are yet. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving week, and so school schedules get disrupted, work schedules change, the travel kicks in, shopping insanity, all of that happens. And for many of us, there's a gathering of family and friends. Uh, family often requires, I mean, it comes with some obligation, right? Like we have to get together. And then at times, friends, it's a little more elective. But in both groups, sometimes there are those we'd rather sit at the other end of the table from. Fair enough? And there may be some who gather with us that feel the same way about us. They'd rather sit at the other end of the table. So in this series, we've been in James chapter 1, and we've been hearing these exhortations from James about things that are really practical for each of us. They're the kinds of things that really do constitute how well we do in relationships with others when we have disagreement. And that's the functional question of this series. How do we conduct ourselves in relationships when we have disagreements? We've recognized through the series that one of the things that has fueled this for its difficulties is our whole use of social media. It's the opportunity to express ourselves without any real sense of responsibility. And that disconnect is being reconnected for us here in James chapter 1. Because what James' exhortation does for us inescapably is it connects expression of ourselves with responsibility for ourselves and for others. And so the functional question is, well, how do we enter into that? So here's what he said. My dear brothers and sisters, he's referring to those who are in relationship to one another because of their relationship to Jesus. But for our sake, let's expand that just a little bit and say, my dear gatherers at Thanksgiving and Christmas, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's a solid exhortation. It's personal and it's practical, but it leaves us wondering, how do I do that? And so the functional question for us today is, how do I take what gets ignited in the furnace of my anger and channel it or exercise it or express it in a way that's truly good for me and beneficial to others? How do I take what rises up in me around anger and express it, handle it, so that it's good for me and beneficial to others? As we look at these ideas in James, sometimes it's difficult to know how they all connect. This quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I'd like to suggest that they connect because they're all an expression of what's going on in this emotional core of us. And it finds its way to the surface through our words through how we measure and interact with others, close or distant, and then what we do with anger. When we get to anger, it, it kind of brings to the story, it clarifies what's really going on here with regard to our feelings. Let's reconnect with the previous messages just to uh, 
answer this question in light of the whole of the context. One of the first things that was highlighted for us is that as a Jesus first people, we are a listening first people. And during that message, one of the quotes that Brad offered kind of brings this home in a real practical way. David Augsburger says this, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. So think of the last time you felt heard. How did you translate that? Probably as respect, love, care, yeah, it's almost indistinguishable, so be quick to listen. He went on in the second week, and Brad offered us this Jesus first picture of a people who are slow to speak. And in that message, you remember he emphasized <clears throat> don't ever, 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 ever underestimate the power of your words. Words create worlds. Think about the most important relationships you are in today. It may be a spouse, it may be an offspring, it may be a friend, it may be a worker, co-worker, a boss, a job. The most important conversations you've had have come about as a result of words. Things that have been expressed that connected with you, they created a possibility for you, a, a world. There are great power in our words. And today we're being directed to this, that a Jesus-first people are a slow-to-become-angry kind of people. As you read that, as I read that, I think to myself, most everyone on a Sunday morning awakes and asks themselves, is today the day we're going to deal with my anger? Didn't you do that this morning, right? Didn't you wake up this morning and as you're drinking your coffee, you're thinking to yourself, I hope today is the day I deal with my anger. <laughs> I didn't even wake up thinking of that, and I'm speaking on it. The truth is, if we think about anger, usually our thoughts are how to deal with somebody else's anger, right? <laughs> yeah. Can we put a lid on that? Do I just need to get a different fire extinguisher so when that gets started, I can hose it? I mean, that's our orientation, right? My anger? If you're like me, I have a whole menu of justifications for my anger. They're seldom expressed, but they're rehearsed. And they're acceptable. They win the day when I'm wrestling with my anger, but they don't actually win the day because that anger sits there and keeps messing with me, keeps kind of having its way with me. So in this exhortation, slow to become angry. The logical question is, what's the big deal? Why is this on James's heart? And now it's on our heart because God's put it in front of us. He's impressing it upon us. There is goodness in this exhortation, and I hope today we get to discover that. One of the statements in the Scriptures that helps us know why this is important is he says, because the anger of man, the human anger, that which is separated from processing with God, this kind of human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's kind of a strange phrase, this righteousness that God desires. It sounds very churchy, doesn't it? Think of it this way. 
God has intended that you and I experience the very best of the best good available. And that very best of the best good that's available is righteousness. The very best of the very best good that's available is righteousness. And when you and I let our anger be the voice of our emotional expression, what God is telling us is it does not accomplish the very best of the very best good for me or for others. These are powerful feelings, these feelings of anger. These emotions we carry fuel our words. They fuel whether we're willing to listen or not. They fuel our anger. It's very powerful. But they're not the most powerful thing available to us. And that's what makes James' exhortations so helpful to us. What's more powerful than these emotions is the power of choice. We actually get to choose what to do. So when James lays this exhortation on us, he does so in honor of the fact that we have the power to choose what we do when our emotions get excited. I'm going to say something that might surprise you. Uh, you may or may not agree with it, but I'll offer it. From time to time, Hollywood serves us well. I just want to offer that. From time to time, they actually help us identify experience or express things we have a difficult time getting to in ourselves. And they've done that around this issue of anger. A number of years ago, the creator of Marvel cartoons identified an anger character. You know who that is? He changes color and he gets in unbelievably strong. Yeah, the Hulk, the Hulk. Now, maybe you know someone like the Hulk. Maybe you met them this morning in the mirror. I don't know. <laughs> but if their elbow's being exchanged right here, just be careful. Just be careful how pointed, powerful those elbows are. The Hulk, I'm not a groupie, but I love his story. The Hulk was this individual who we learn has had childhood experiences with his father, abusive experiences. And later on, he actually assigns responsibility to his father for the death of his mother. But he's harboring all these things in this reluctant, demure, kind of hiding package as a person, his persona. And then he has this experience in the laboratory that goes bad, it blows up, and it alters his physiology such that when he's stressed and he's, he's under pressure, he's taken over by the effects of these early unresolved childhood experiences. And what he had no control over in his childhood now has control of him. Pretty good picture of anger, isn't it? Pretty good picture of what you and I encounter when we make an effort to get in touch with and deal with our own anger. And like us, he's trying to repress these feelings. His best way of trying to deal with this is to separate himself from it, to try to act like that's not a part of him. He's this and that's that, and it doesn't work any better than it works for us. And we can kind of feel it and live it out through a character like the Hulk. 
It's a real battle for us. It's one we feel. It's one we might even blame. But the invitation we hear from God is don't try to separate yourself from it. This anger piece is actually a part of your design. For you and I to function as a whole person, we have to come to terms with our anger. God does not tell us anywhere in Scripture to simply get rid of it, to try to come to terms with it by denying it or separating ourselves from it. He actually invites us into it, much like He has here. Be slow to anger. In other words, take time to understand and to process what this is. Maybe you haven't had an experience like the Hulk, but you know someone who is the Hulk. And this would be a phrase about them. Now make sure you don't get them mad, because if you do, it's going to blow up. I'm seeing some elbows again. I'm not encouraging that this morning. I hope what this is leading to is personal recognition. Remember, you woke up this morning thinking, I hope today we deal with my anger, right? But the Hulk can give us a context for recognizing we have this going on in us and we have a way to come to terms with it so we can, in fact, be slow to anger. If the Hulk is a little too rough for you, maybe you were captured by the 2015 movie Inside Out. It was an animated movie, and 11-year-old Riley is forced to move by her family's move, and in the process, her headquarters gets scrambled. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Gets all jumbled up, and which emotion comes to take charge of Riley? Anger. Anger. And this movie took a number of years to produce. Ultimately, when it went to market, they weren't sure it was going to be successful. But worldwide, it, its income was over $850 million. Why? Because we could all identify with that very same thing happening to us. Something outside of our control happens to us. It then takes control of us. And we find ourselves hostage in bondage to this runaway matter of anger. She had to deal with it. The Hulk has had to deal with it. You and I have to deal with it. And dealing with our anger, anger is complicated by our own superhero complex. We feel like we can just muscle up. We can get enough strength. We can take a hold of this thing and we can deal with it. And over and over again as we've tried, it doesn't work. And for many of us, we just kind of give into it. Try to avoid the situations that provoke it. We try to practice management. Some of us have had to go to anger management. What's been demonstrated is that anger management is rarely successful. It wasn't actually the kind of thing that's manageable, but it is understandable. And we can make different choices about it that change our experience of it and our expression of it. We can identify it. We can understand it. We can understand its potential for good and for bad. We can make choices about it. We can grow to benefit ourselves and others with a healthy expression of it. That's what's available to us around anger. It's why James, in just a few words, can make this challenge to be slow to anger because he knows these things are possible. We can get our hands around it. It's not through separation. 
that we deal with our anger, nor is it through information that we just get better informed. We do, in fact, need the intervention of God. And the intervention of God welcomes us into an understanding and a journey to help us process and learn to express what's going on around our own anger. Some of those insights are offered in these next scriptures. Uh, look at these with me. <clears throat> James goes on in a couple of verses later and he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In other words, take action on what it is I'm offering you. That would be God's sentiment to you and to me. Take action on what I'm offering to you. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself or herself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So at times we become aware, in this case, of our anger and, and what's behind it. We get a little hint of that. We see the effect of it on others and on ourselves and then we walk away from it. We don't actually process it. It's like looking in the mirror and seeing it and walking away and forgetting. Whoever looks intently into this perfect law that gives freedom, a really important phrase for us, that what God has revealed of himself and revealed about us is designed to give us freedom, not judgment, not bondage. It's actually to break the bondage, to give freedom. And if you continue in it, not forgetting what you've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. As he goes on, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Read in that word worthless, powerless. That this faith relationship with God, this idea of who God is and what God's up to, doesn't translate into practical power in how we live. And where do we need more practical power than in this space of anger for us? Here's some things I want to offer that may open the door to this conversation about anger. And by the way, I, I really wrestled with this in preparing for today. It's almost unfair, maybe borders on malpractice, but we'll stay with unfair, <laughs> to just open the door to the subject of anger and not walk through it and process it well. That's the nature of a message. It really merits a workshop where we get to sit with one another, we get to look at it closely, we get to walk into it and through it, we get to make some choices about it, we get to experience some change as it relates to it. So I just want to acknowledge that as we continue this morning. I'm going to offer you some encouragement that anger is not just a general topic. We can get into the specifics of it. But in order to actually process this, I want to encourage you to identify someone you can sit down with and trust and lovingly peel the onion of anger with the confidence that God is at work doing that without judgment. He's inviting us to gain access to something He's designed us with and when we do so in a healthy way, it's for our good. It's for our good and ultimately for the benefit of others. As we open the door to anger, some things to say just about emotions overall. Anger is an emotion. Consider an emotion as energy 
in motion. That's the nature of emotions. They're going to go somewhere. Anger is one of the emotions. And emotions are energy in motion. That's why you feel the way you feel. I feel the way I feel when I'm trying to contain anger. It's like pinballs have been loosened in my heart, and they're bouncing all over, ringing all the bells. It's not a positive score. I'm not winning. I'm just getting hammered. And then I discover the balls are little bombs, and they're going to go off. They're going to make a mess of me and others. And I think to myself, this is hopeless. I don't know what to do with this. If I recognize that my emotions are energy in motion, I can actually sit down with someone and say, here's the motion I'm experiencing in myself. Maybe I can associate it with something I've experienced or someone has done. There may be a genuine offense. Well, whatever it is, I have to come to terms with what's in here. How am I receiving, seeing, and responding to that stimulus? Hey, everyone has anger. It's been designed into us as a good thing. Emotions are like colors. They're not right or wrong. Anger is a guardian of our self-esteem. And by the way, you and I are not our anger. My feelings of anger and my angry behavior are separate from each other. I can understand that if I give myself time to understand it. My anger is a style I've most likely had modeled for me. And in having it modeled for me, I chose what aligned with how I'm wired. And those two things come together to represent my anger, different from your anger. But let's talk about some kinds of anger. We're going to talk about two of them this morning. Again, we're just opening the door. Hopefully, this will encourage you to take additional steps. We want to start with explosive anger. There's explosive and implosive anger, and we're going to start with explosive and just talk through some of the ways in which explosive anger gets expressed. If you identify with some of these, they're coming from the more negative expression of anger, but just make a note in your own mind, not in the ribs of your neighbor. Just make a note in your own mind. I probably ought to spend a little bit of time looking more carefully at that. One of the expressions of explosive anger is sudden anger. It's this impulsive and immediate anger. Then there's shame-based anger, this hidden, poor self-esteem-driven anger. Deliberate anger, calculated and planned. Addictive anger. I'm just going to meet my own needs in the best way I think possible, and it leads to addictions. Habitual anger, learned and repeated. Same experience, same expression. Same experience, same expression. Habitual anger. Moral anger judgmental and self-righteous, superior-inferior kind of perspective, justified with its moral offense, even to hate a hardened, resent-rich kind of anger. This is explosive anger. There's implosive anger. It has its own characteristics. Implosive anger is more unpredictable, kind of camouflaged. It's like Dr. Banner. He looks so affable, so reserved, socially awkward, standoffish, until. Some of the qualities of implosive anger, it's anger avoidance. I'm not angry. I don't get angry. I'll bring it on. If we could see ourselves, 
we'd have a massive plunger picture, taking what comes our way and we're just, we're just packing it down, stuffing it down. Yeah, sneaky anger, this silent aggression. You know, I think some sneaky anger may have gotten nurtured when we were in school. You know, some of the behavior that goes on in schools, it's this sneaky behavior. Something shows up in your locker. It looks bad and it smells bad. You have no idea where it came from. Oh, a little sneaky anger. Now, that's kind of fun at some level until it's not. But it's there. Now, the other is paranoid anger. I just become hypersensitive. Everything's against me. Everything's at risk. We might think to ourselves that this implosive anger is more acceptable. It masks itself better than the explosive anger. But the truth is they both blow up. One tends to blow up inside us. And we end up with digestive problems, immune system problems, anxiety or depression. It's energy in motion. It's going to go somewhere with us. And the idea that if I just explode and get it out, that's kind of like throwing up. I'll feel better. Nobody else will, but I will. That has to be healthier, right? No. No. None of us signed up to get thrown up on. But it happens, and we recognize it. It isn't that one of these is better than the other. It's just I'm opening the door to invite all of us to take a journey into this space around anger and ask, how would God help me identify it, come to terms with it, go somewhere healthy with it, that anger as an emotion might serve for my good and for the benefit of others. That's what God has intended for us as a whole person. He is redeeming, He is restoring, He is renewing the brokenness of our whole person. And that includes our anger. You and I have the power to choose what we do with this. We are broken people in a broken world dealing with broken life, and yet that's no excuse for what we do with anger. Here's a way to think about how your choice and my choice with regard to anger has power. How you can answer the question, what is my most healthy way to deal with anger? An unhealthy way we can deal with it is by reacting to what I experience. I have an experience, and I've already decided whether I've consciously chosen this or not. I've decided that my intellect, my thinking, and my belief system is subordinate, subject to my emotions. My emotions rule the day. If that's the way I'm oriented, if that's the way I operate, I need to know that's coming from a broken place. I've not been wired. You and I have not been made for our emotions to rule the day. They are a vital, they are a vital and critical component of our total expression of who we are, but they're not in charge. If I find myself reacting, then I can think to myself, ah, my emotions are likely in charge here, not my thinking, not my intellect, not my belief system. That represents the woundedness and brokenness of my heart. And I may feel like that's my only option. 
I just manage my reactions to the stimulus that makes me angry. You have another choice. I have another choice. I can respond, and you and I can respond to the stimulus that, that raises up my anger. I can decide that I'm going to think this through. I'm going to re-examine my belief systems and my expectations. I'm going to put my emotions in a more subject space, a more subordinate space to serve my best thinking. And I'm going to ask that I have a renewed perspective. I have understanding. I recognize my choices. I can respond to the stimulus. This represents a heart that's being healed and honoring its wholeness. So I can react or I can respond. And maybe this picture will give you the encouragement that you do have the power to choose. You're not just subject to what happens to you. Maybe you've already decided just not to choose. That, by the way, is a choice. And it will set you up for reacting. That's the nature of that passive posture. In Ephesians chapter 4, there's this exhortation about anger itself. He says, in your anger, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. If we had time, we'd look at a couple of illustrations in Scripture where Jesus encounters people possessed by demons. And in their demon possession, those around them have tried to control them by chaining them, by wrapping them in chains and putting them out of the town, out in the cemetery, because their anger is their dominant expression of this demonic activity. So when this scripture instructs us to be mindful of the potential of our anger, we're being told that it actually opens the door for something very dark and deep. That the very enemy of our soul gains a foothold when we don't choose what we do with anger. We just simply let anger do us. I want to encourage us to do what James did. He looked to Jesus to try to understand how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. One of the experiences of Jesus is he comes into Jerusalem and he observes that the temple where they're instructed to gather and to worship and to sacrifice, to make a connection to God that is personal and practical, when they're instructed to do this, there are those who've come into the temple and they're selling the things people need for worship. They've turned it into a marketplace. And Jesus is very angry about this. Now recognize, Jesus has grown up with this. This didn't just happen in a moment. He's been slow to become angry about this. This is a considered response to this unrighteousness. And he makes a whip and he goes into the temple plaza and he drives out the merchants and the money changers. He drives them out and says, this is a place set aside for people to engage with who God is and what God has to offer. It is not a place for you to do commerce in the name of God. His righteous anger was expressed against unrighteousness and it brought correction. Back in 1980, there was a mom whose 13-year-old daughter was killed by a repeat offender drunk driver. And this mom made a choice about what to do with her anger, and she channeled it into an organization called MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. 
And the mission was to do all they could do as a group, a growing group of mothers, to channel their anger toward good. And their commitment was to try to eliminate the experience of drunk driving. That's a way to be slow to anger and allow it to serve good for her and the benefit of all those who are affected by the laws that they've passed to protect all of us. When we look at Jesus, one of the things I think it's important to recognize is that Jesus became the recipient of anger. Two kinds. He was the recipient of all the anger of those who sought His destruction, ultimately leading to His death on the cross. But it was in that experience and in that place, He was the recipient of the holy anger of God against all unrighteousness because Jesus took upon Himself all of our brokenness, all of our unrighteousness, and His anger rightly was poured out on Jesus. It's part of what makes His death so significant and His resurrection. He had victory over this. He didn't eliminate it because He's actually made us with anger. He repositioned it for us. He showed us and made it possible for us to exercise the power of choice with regard to anger, experience its benefits, extend those benefits to others. That's what Jesus did. So when we think about the cross, God in His abundant love poured Himself out on us through the experience of His own anger on Himself that we might, in fact, embrace this exhortation to be slow to anger, and we can, in fact, do it. Just want to encourage yourself today, just as you embrace this exhortation, know that God is not asking any of us to do these things in our own strength. He is serving as the example for us, the model. He's offering Himself to us about this. He's giving us His power to engage in this. He's showing us the way. And so our challenge in answering this question, how do we conduct ourselves with others when we have disagreements? We lean hard into Jesus. We embrace His words, His ways, and His power so that we can become a listening first people. We can become a slow to speak people we can become a slow to become angry people. Today is just an introduction and a resource that's been really helpful to me. I just want to encourage you to take advantage of it. It's a book entitled The Heart of the Courageous. This is penned by a Heartlander, uh, Gary Kuzmik, and his close, close friend, Harry Stewart. Harry was a psychiatrist, and Gary's been a 25, 30-year life coach, and they've wrestled with their own anger. They've wrestled with a scripture about anger, and they've put it in writing. They offer a number of assessments in here that help you and me get in touch with what's going on in us. One of the things that's true about us is that if we don't locate ourselves and we don't name what's going on, we can't deal with it. It's dealing with us. And Gary and Harry, 
they help us locate ourselves and they help name what's going on and they show us a way forward that lets love drive this conversation, not fear, manipulation, expectations, etc. Not the damage of our childhood. We get to deal with it. See, we can, in fact, understand this. We can decide what to do about it and we can gain the benefit of anger. Hey, I've got a few copies available here this morning. I just want to encourage you, uh, be courageous, uh, come forward, you won't be trapped, there isn't anything here that will uh, handcuff you or tie your feet to the floor, but I can assure you that if you take this home and you take advantage of it with a friend or two, you'll find some freedom from the bondage you have with anger, and you'll be so grateful, you'll be so grateful. So as a happy Thanksgiving, welcome to anger and its goodness. Believe that God has the very best for you and for me as we step into this space of understanding, processing, and learning to express anger in a really healthy way. You good with that? You good with that? Okay. Pray with me, and then uh, if you desire, come grab a book. Jesus, this morning we just acknowledge that if you don't act on our behalf, we do not have the strength to overcome this and to orient this passionate emotion of anger in a way that's really good for us and beneficial to others. But you do. You do. And it will change us when we trust you with our anger. Show us how to do this, Jesus. We, we feel our weakness in this. We feel our limitations and inabilities. You have been our example. You do have the way and you have the power. Help us experience that from you, Jesus, we pray in faith, believing that you will. In Jesus' name, amen.